Scott and I often record episodes in advance to make sure our schedules never get too full to release a new episode every week. We plan to bring you stories of debt paydown earlier in the year, starting with Chris Browning from Popcorn Finance on March 16th. But when the U.S. effectively shut down the Friday before, we decided to put Chris's episode on hold so that we could cover the new biggest topic of the year. With unemployment claims skyrocketing, we felt it would seem out of touch to tell how Chris paid off his debt and hope to be able to release them in the future. Chris Browning's story is still a great story, and while the world has changed since we recorded this episode, there are still great lessons to be learned from his journey. So today we bring you Chris Browning's story of paying down debt. As you listen, please keep in mind that this was recorded in January in a very different time, but we hope you find as much value in Chris's story as we do. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 134, where we interview Chris Browning from Popcorn Finance and get his story of debt, debt payoff, reaccumulation of debt, and how he finally broke the debt cycle to pursue financial independence and his best life. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my always adaptable co-host, Scott Trench. I just love the evolution of your introductory adjectives, Mindy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, and show you that by following the proven path, you can put yourself on the road to early financial freedom and get money out of the way so you can lead your best life. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or simply change your identity and how you think about um, your profession and your worldview, we'll help you build a position capable of launching yourself towards those dreams. I'm very excited for uh, for our show with Chris today. It's going to be a great story about how to how to get out of debt, as you mentioned earlier on, and and how to break that cycle of debt, and just to, the way his life has gotten so much better as he hit rock bottom, attacked the debt, got to zero, and is building towards five now. Uh, it's just really incredible. Yeah. Again, we say this over and over every week, but one of the things that makes his story so great is that it's so repeatable. It's very easy for somebody to get into debt, but it's also very easy for somebody to pay off the debt once they start paying attention to the amount of debt they have and paying attention to how they're going to pay it off. Come up with a plan. Uh, We talk about Dave Ramsey's baby steps in this episode. He's got this really great plan called the debt snowball where you line up all your debts, list them out from smallest to largest, and you attack the debt attack the debt, attack the debt. You get a win. You take all the money that you were putting towards that debt and attack the next debt. And it's, you know, having the psychological win of actually paying off a debt to zero is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we get to Chris, I wanted to kind of bring back the quick tip that uh, the actionable item you can take this week to better your, your personal finances. And today we're going to start with, I think, the most basic thing of all, which is literally, mechanically, how to buy an index fund. We get uh, from time to time, folks have a little trouble actually understanding how to begin purchasing these when they're beginning to invest. So the way that I personally buy index funds is I use an app on my phone called Robinhood. It's a free app. You can download it. And this is not an ad for Robinhood. We're not affiliated with Robinhood. But uh, I just what I use uh, is a free app. You type it into your iPhone or, or other phone, Android. Download the app, you log in using your bank account, and then you transfer money from your bank to the app. Then you search for whatever the index fund you're going to invest in. So for example, if you wanted to invest in a popular FI index fund, you type in VTSAX, which is the acronym um, or the ticker symbol for that particular index fund. Or uh, you could invest in another one like a VOO. So look up a couple of index funds, choose which one you're, you're interested in if you're looking to buy an index fund, and go through that process and learn how to mechanically purchase a stock. You don't have to hold it. It's not investment advice, but just go through the process of doing that so you're comfortable buying stock. Yeah, that's great. You can't get started until you get started. So what we hear over and over again from everybody that we talk to on the show is index funds. There's a variety of index funds. It's not just one. The VTSAX is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, which I believe is a share of every company that's publicly traded in America on the various 
indices. But yeah, this, it, a, you know, a great book to talk about index funds is J.L. Collins' The Simple Path to Wealth. That's an excellent book that kind of gives you the reason to invest in index funds, the why behind it. And I believe he also talks about how to actually do that. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chris Browning from Popcorn Finance. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I am so excited that you're here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mindy. I'm really excited to be joining you guys today. I met Chris, I don't know, 100 years ago, and I've been trying to get you on this show forever because I love your, I, I hate to say this, I love that you were in so much debt. I love your story. <laughs> you know, I don't like to say that, but I like how you look at things and, you know, I really consider money and finance to be a lot like weight and health. And when you have been overweight and you lose a lot of weight, it's very easy to have that come back on, just like when you are in debt and you pay off your debt, it's very easy for that to creep back up and, you know, oh, it's just a dollar. Oh, it's just a little bit. So we're going to talk about the psychology of getting out of debt and staying out of debt. Chris, I want to hear your money story. Let's talk about where your journey with money begins. Yeah. So my journey, I think probably just from the very beginning, my family, we didn't talk about money. That wasn't a conversation that really ever came up. So I, I had no idea how our family was doing. I knew there was, you know, times were tough at, at periods in my life. Times were, were okay, but I just never got the conversation. It was kind of, you know, you're the kid, you, you do your, you go to school, you worry about that and we'll worry about this side of things. So when I went to school, I initially went into to college as a, an art major because I, I just, this dream of working for Pixar, I just love the work that they do. <laughs> and and so I got there and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to be building all kinds of movies and things like this. And you start off with the most like rudimentary art classes and they were just the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. And I was like, there's no way this is for me. These people are way more passionate. So just by chance, one of my like general education classes was like a personal finance class. And I was really enjoying it. And I was like, we were learning all kinds of things I'd never heard of. I'd never been taught this in school, never heard of a family. And I was like, I think I could see myself doing this. So I went to the business department and I asked them, like, what do I have to do to change my major to, to finance? And they gave me the paperwork and I changed over that day. And I ended up choosing uh, financial planning as my uh, emphasis within my finance degree. And that was kind of my start to, to learning about money and getting involved in, in all of this, really. So you were an art major and then you switched over to 
finance. That's slightly different. And so, but when you said that, I'm like, wait, isn't art like one of them's right-brained and one of them's left-brained and to be into both of them, that's cool. So you're a personal finance major. So then your finances have always been perfect, right? Oh, of course. That's exactly what that means. I've <laughs> never made any mistakes whatsoever. <laughs> no, actually, I um, so I graduated in the middle of the recession. So I graduated like late 2009. And I was basically, there's no jobs out there. I, it was so difficult to find anything. I was working at a bank at the time. I was like, a, I was a teller supervisor. And I just was like, I guess I'm just going to be a teller supervisor for the rest of my life because I can't find a job. I couldn't find uh, any financial planning positions. And what I was getting offered were like hardcore sales jobs. And I was like, I do not like sales. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stray away from that. And to my uh, my mom's delight, I ended up becoming an accountant because that's what, that's what she does for, for a living. And during all that time, I had built up like a little bit of credit card debt. Basically, I ended up in like around $3,000 worth of credit card debt because I was trying to impress my, my girlfriend at the time, who was now my wife. And I, I wasn't really making a ton of money. So I was just, you know, hey, pull out the credit card, swipe it, and I'll worry about this later. And it just kind of spiraled out of control. And so eventually, I, I managed to like get things under control. We had, we had a talk and I said, hey, we got to cut back a little bit. It's getting a little too crazy. I don't have the money to, to go out to eat as often as we would like to. And I managed to pay that credit card debt off. It took me a little while because my earnings were a little low, but I managed to, to pay it off just by saying, hey, let's you know do some, some free and cheap things around the area. But it didn't last very long because essentially we, we paid off that debt and then I started saving for an engagement ring because we were planning to get married. And the moment I bought the engagement ring, I spent all the money I had. And then that's when all the real expenses started kicking in for the wedding. And we slowly built debt back up again. And we ended up in... I think by the time the wedding actually happened, we ended up in around $14,000 worth of credit card debt because we had no cash. We, we had nothing. And we were basically trying to build this wedding we thought we should have. And everyone told us, you know, this is what you do. These are the things you, you pay for. And we ended up hitting that $14,000 mark. And that was just the start of us building up uh, an even greater amount of debt. Well, you deserve it, Chris. Yeah, right. You deserve it. So don't <laughs> worry about that. Don't worry about how you're going to pay for it. Charge it now and figure out, you know, payments later. Let's backtrack just a little bit. College, when you graduated from college, did you have any student loan debt? No, fortunately, my parents were able to uh, pay for my college. And it was a much different world in 2005 when I went to college. I think my total degree cost me about 12, it cost my parents, I should say, about $12,000. <laughs> so nothing compared to what college costs now. It was just it was a significantly cheaper degree back then. Where did you go? So I went to a state university out here. So I went to Cal State Fullerton and I graduated right before, I literally the semester I graduated the next year, they doubled tuition and it continued to grow every year after that. Oh man. Yeah. So I, I just barely got out <laughs> before it went, <laughs> it went crazy. Well, so can you walk us through kind of your household spending and income while you were building up the initial debt out of college and then kind of how that transpired for your wedding? Oh yeah, for sure. So basically I think I was earning... It fluctuated because I was basically working part-time while I was in college. I mean, worked like mm -hmm. 30 hours a week. And so I'd say my income fluctuated anywhere from 18000 when I was first getting into college to maybe maxing out somewhere around thirty by the time I graduated. So I wasn't, I wasn't making a ton of money. And I live in California. So that's like, you know, maybe somewhere else, $30,000 will work. In but Southern you're doing California. that while getting a degree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So that's awesome. Yeah. So I was I was trying my best to never ask my parents for money again, but it was uh, a yeah. <laughs> it was definitely tight living. And then uh, once I managed to pay off the it was about, maybe like roughly three thousand dollars in credit card debt I had built up. When we started racking up the credit card debt for the wedding, I think combined we were making somewhere around maybe forty thousand dollars, maybe forty five on a good year. And so still not a lot for living out here. And we were actually uh, renting a place for our parents because rent is crazy. It's crazy expensive out here. So I think we were paying maybe about 800 bucks a month for this tiny... Where's like, out here? Oh, sorry. So in Southern California, I'm maybe just like 30 minutes south of Los Angeles Got without it. traffic. Okay. <laughs> without traffic. <laughs> Three hours with traffic is how far we are from LA. Okay. So you're making a combined household income of $40,000, $45,000, renting a place for $8,000 or $800 a month from family. And you're able to cash flow this situation and save up a little bit except for an expensive wedding. Is that kind of the summary of that circumstance? Yeah. Basically, I was able to save up for an engagement ring on my own. When we got married or when we were leading up to the wedding, we basically charged everything because we didn't have enough to, to cash flow. The, well, yeah, the wedding that we thought we needed to have, we didn't have enough money to cash flow then. 
All right. So you have this beautiful wedding and you're now with $14,000 in credit card debt, right? So what happens next? What's the the mentality? So we, we were like, okay, we're going to move in together. And I had been living with a uh, cousin. We were roommates. And so, you know, two guys, we had no furniture. We had like a couch and a bed. That's the extent of the furniture that we had. <laughs> So we're like, okay, I guess we need things for our new place together. So, you know, we roll down to Ikea. And of course, we again, we don't have any money. We don't have any cash. So we're like, hey, you know, we'll charge this and then we'll, you know, furnish our place and we'll worry about paying us off. We won't go too overboard. So that was, I don't know, maybe like $1,500, $1,600. And then my wife was still in school. And then there were some unexpected expenses that came up. Basically, she dropped a class and ended up dropping her below full-time. She lost her full-time financial aid and ended up charging her for the classes. I think that was like, this, there was like some weird situation where they ended up charging her like a few thousand dollars for classes that were no longer covered by her aid. And then after that, what was it? She ended up going to, I think, the emergency room. We had a few medical bills pop up and these little things started stacking up combined with the fact that we weren't really budgeting and tracking our expenses at all. We were just kind of, no winging it. And when it was all said and done, about two years into our marriage, we were at about $27,000 in credit card debt. And what year is this? So this would have been, we got married in 2012. This was late 2014 when, uh, when we hit that peak. Okay. And what was kind of the mentality at that point? What, when you kind of looked at all over and, and saw that you're at the peak, what was going through your head? So I knew things weren't going well. I kind of was the one watching the budget and the finances. And I went to school for this. I studied financial planning. I knew what you should be doing, but I never really wanted to look at it. I didn't, I didn't want to think about it. So I never added it up. I was kind of like, you know, we'll make some payments on it, but then we'd end up charging more that month than we paid and the credit would just keep growing and growing. So I was stressed. I would think about this all the time at work. I was like, what do I need to do to make more money? What, what are we doing? How, when, when is this ever going to be gone? And so one day I was like, well, maybe I should just kind of sit here and add it up and see where we're at. And that's when I realized that it had hit $27,000. Did you have any sort of emergency fund or was this more of a paycheck to paycheck situation? Oh, this was definitely paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> I mean, maybe we had $100 sitting around somewhere. We It was literally... if. I would have lost my job. I, I mean, I don't know if our family would have evicted us, but <laughs> we, we, we would have been we would have been eating like you know noodles every day, basically. Okay, that's interesting. You said just a moment ago. I know what I should be doing, and I think that kind of plays into the whole. I don't like to use this word shame, but that's a really great descriptive word. Uh, the the shame around being in debt is you know well I know I shouldn't be doing this, but it's. It's hard to turn a whole ship around. And, you know, when you're, you only get married once. So you should have a big lavish wedding because you deserve it. And, you know, it's, it's easy to get really caught up in this. What was the first thing you did once you added up all your numbers and you're like $27,000? What was the first step? Other than freaking out, which is my first reaction was like, what am I going to do? Cause that was like half of our, over half of our take home pay that we had in debt. It was really like, okay where's our money going? Essentially, I was like, we're spending so much money. And I literally have no idea where it's going because we didn't have the best furniture and TVs. And we didn't, we weren't going on trips. We weren't doing anything. And so I was like, well, I guess I need to figure out where our money is going. So I sat down and um, I started using, uh, I think it was Mint to just throw my, throw my bank accounts in there and look at where my money was going. And then to really hone in, where is our money going and where can I actually make cuts to actually start putting more money towards the debt to make real impact? So what did you cut? So the biggest thing, so th- this was like the biggest shock when I saw our transactions. Food, I, th- I think that's like the answer for most people. Like most people, most of us are like sending ridiculous amounts of money towards food. And I think one of the months, like right in the very beginning stages where we were looking at everything, we spent like $1,200 on food. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, how? I was like, one, we didn't have $1,200 to spend on food. <laughs> and I didn't go, we didn't go anywhere fancy. We didn't even go anywhere nice. Like I didn't have like one beautiful steak dinner or anything like that that month. It was like just these little transactions that we were basically like eating out three times a day, not paying attention to it. And it just hit an astronomical amount. At least for me, that feels crazy. It feels crazy for to me too. Let me let me confirm for you that that was crazy. <laughs> you know, $1,200 for two people is a lot. We yeah. interviewed Justin, the saving Sherpa, and he spends $60 a month on food. And you got to ask him his story. He's buying it. He's shopping the sales. He's not really buying a lot of meat unless it's on super sale. He eats a lot of sweet potatoes and, you know, cheap vegetables. And I don't want to say cheap, like, 
like inexpensive vegetables that fills him up. But yes, I mean, $60 is one extreme. 600 is another extreme, but it is so easy to just hit the drive through in the morning on the way to work. And it's so easy to just grab something really quick at lunch and, oh, dinner, I'm so swamped. I'm just going to go out to dinner. And I don't know how much I've spent on food specifically, but I know it's way closer to Chris than Justin <laughs> and sometimes. So, you know, but it's just as easy to prepare breakfast burritos on Saturday and make, you know, 30 and put them in the freezer or breakfast sandwiches or, you know, a breakfast bowl or something and take it to work with you or grab your lunch as you're leaving. So so food was your big one. What changes did you make? So the biggest thing was probably the first time in our marriage, I sat down and I wrote out a budget and I said, okay, this is how much we know we're bringing in. This is clearly all the money we have to work with. Now, where where are our expenses that we can't get rid of? Like, you know, we have to pay for a place to live. We have cars, we're gonna need gas and insurance and things like that. So I wrote down all the things that had to happen. And then whatever was left over, I was like, okay, how much of this are we comfortable putting towards debt? How much of this can we sacrifice and say, we're not going to spend this, it's gonna go towards our debt. And that's basically what we did. So food, I think I cut us down to like, I think I said it was maybe... $200, I think. Um, From think, 1200 to 200 Oh, no, it wasn't. It was $200 a check. So it was like maybe like $400, 450 okay. a month. But still, mm-hmm. from $1,200 to $400, that's yeah. a big difference. It was massive. And we didn't do it the first month. I'm, I'm going to just be honest. Like <laughs> I, I said, this is what we're going to do. It did not happen. It took several months for us to get closer to that mark, but it definitely brought us down. And it was like a gradual realization of, these habits that we had that we had to change because there's no way we could live the way we were living and uh, <laughs> and and survive and have any type of you know true progress. Was this a was this a system shock? So you did the work to to analyze your budget and all that kind of stuff and come up with these numbers. Was it a system shock to your wife? How did you approach the conversation? It was tough because I'm not someone who enjoys having difficult conversations, and this was, I knew it was going to be a very difficult conversation just because you're telling someone, "Hey, we're going to spend drastically less money." <laughs> but it really got to a point where it was wearing on me. I would be at work and I would be constantly looking for another job. I was like, "I, I don't make enough money. What, what are we going to do?" And I would be just worried about making the payments and the interest that was accruing. And so for me, I got to a point where I was just so overwhelmed with the situation that I went and had a conversation that I probably wouldn't have had if I wasn't just so you know stressed with this feeling of the debt that we were carrying. So I think she kind of knew. She, my wife could tell that I was stressed out and I was worried about it because I was the main one looking at the finances because just I think just by default, I ended up being the one who did all the, the budgeting. And so when I came to her, it was basically, we have to do something. This, I'm so stressed out. This is not working. We have all this debt. And I, I really think we need to make some changes. And I think because she knew how you know big of a deal this was and could see how it was wearing on me, she pretty much was on board. I mean, not saying that you know we didn't have our discussions after the fact, after I presented her with the changes I wanted to make. But I think she could tell what was going on and how serious the situation was and, and how it was going to just you know stress me out forever if we didn't do something about this. So she, she definitely came on board with me when we talked. Okay, got it. So walk us through kind of how you how you were gradually able to get over the course of a couple of months to your target budget. So really it was it was kind of like a trial and error type thing. So essentially I opened up Excel, I made my my quick little spreadsheet showing the budget, and then I would say, All right, this is what we're going to aim for. We're going to aim for these amounts and I'll just check in periodically and say, Hey, this is where we are and go from there. So essentially we would just Try our best to stick to these numbers. This is probably the wrong way to approach us. Probably why we failed so many times. It was like, this is our goal. We're going to try our best. And it was not a very good attempt. And we we would essentially every month look at it and say, okay, we were way off the mark. We weren't even close to what we thought we were going to do. But we were able to make a little bit of progress on our debt. And I was like, hey, well, this feels good. You know, we actually paid the balance down this month. And from there, it was like these little tweaks. And we'd have to say, okay, well, all right, we did okay, but can we? not buy this item? Or do we have to get this when we go to the grocery store every time? Or you know, what can we do to um, find some free things to do around the area instead of going around and you know, going to the movies or going to restaurants every time we feel bored or feel like we have to go out? So it was like, this, it was like a gradual shift. And my wife, she got really into like thrifting and um, doing that because she was a big... She said her and her mom were... Um, that was her thing to do was go shopping. And that's kind of like her... you know, That was a routine. And that's what she did when she wanted something to do. And so for her, she said it was really hard to give that up. But going to the thrift store, she could still get that same feeling, 
but knowing that one, we were spending a lot less money. And also she was like, you know, I feel better about it, you know, socially, environmentally by, you know, buying things that were already, you know, in production. She didn't have to go have, you know, buy some new fast fashion type thing. She could help by, you know, basically reusing recycling clothes. So that became her thing. And all these small little habits started to develop and changes in our lifestyle kind of just grew over time. Just kind of almost, we didn't really notice it, but it just kind of started to change as we were striving to reach this goal. And what was your household income during this this period? So when we started out, so in well, 2012, when we built up the debt, we were like around, like what I say, like low mid 40s, like 40, 45,000. And I'd say by the time we hit the peak, it hadn't grown very much at all. Maybe, uh, maybe a couple thousand over that two-year period. But then when I got serious about it, I really started looking for, for better work. I was like, okay, I can stay at this job where the pay is fine. I mean, it's, it's okay. And what was the job? Oh, so I was a, I was an accountant. I was a payroll supervisor. Account, okay. So I was, uh, I was working for a school district and I managed their payroll department. Okay. And uh, I was like, you know what? I got to get out of here. I got to find something better. I was like, there has to be something that pays better than this. A better use of my time. So essentially, I, I was looking around and ended up finding a job that gave me... It was roughly uh, like a... $1,200 per month pay raise. Wow. So it was pretty significant. Because I guess I was getting drastically underpaid for the work I was doing. So I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that <laughs> until I started to look around. Uh, and so that was like probably the, one of the bigger significant things that, that helped us accelerate our debt payoff. And that became my thing. So every couple of years, I, w- I would say, okay, I've done this long enough. What's next? And I would, I would do whatever I could to like join professional organizations where I work to take on new training so that way I could build up my resume and then throw that into the next job and then hopefully lead to another raise. And that was kind of like my, my trend to help us accelerate our debt payoff. Got it. So all this time, could you walk us through maybe when did you get that new job? How many months after your peak? So in 2014, when we hit the, the peak of our debt, it was about um, about a year later when I made my first jump to a new job. And then I made another one roughly, I think, roughly two years after that. Got it. And so what was what was your debt pay down looking like? It sounds like it was very slow at first and kind of accelerating over time. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So it, essentially, we were able to do, I think when we first started off, we were able to do somewhere around... It would fluctuate between five to seven hundred dollars a month in free income we had available to to put towards our debt. And then every time I would change jobs, I would say we're going to take all of this, if not as much as we could, and put it towards the debt. Because eventually, we we did end up moving out of the, the place we were renting from our family, so our costs went up slightly. So we were able to say, I say it went from anywhere from five to seven hundred dollar range to roughly close to about fifteen to seventeen hundred dollars a month towards our debt at probably the, the peak, right before we paid everything off. Awesome. So, so how long did it take you to pay off the debt? So it took us roughly, I would say about two and a half, three years to pay it all off. So I think because we started roughly around November 2014 when we realized where we were. And it was about late January 2017 uh, when we hit the, when we paid the, the last payment off on it. And during that time, you know, we did other things like I took on a bunch of side hustles to try to earn some extra income to accelerate it on top of working new jobs to, to accelerate it and get it out as soon as I could. Because once you see the end, you're like, I got to get rid of this. I'm so close. What can I do to get rid of this debt? So you, so you come into a position where you're piling up debt, $40,000, dollars $40, $45, a year in household income, and that's not enough. You're not covering it. And you go to paying that $27,000 off in two and a half years. As you're approaching zero, what's kind of your, your income and expense situation? And what's going through your mind from a wealth building perspective? Hmm. So I would say, so towards the end, let me see if I can remember here. I, I think we're somewhere around close to 60, maybe $70,000, I think at that point, right before we, we reached our final debt payoff mark. And so during this time, one thing I wish I could have done a little bit differently was we weren't really saving anything. It was, I was 100% focused on paying off debt. I was like, Every dime I have that's available is going towards debt. And I really felt uncomfortable with that because I was like, if anything happens, we're just going to be completely derailed. Like, and it happened several times throughout the process where unexpected bill will pop up or you know, we'd have... I think my wife got in a car accident one time and we had to you know, cover the deductible on that. And it was like these things that every time something happened, we would just grind to a halt and we could no, we could no longer put anything towards debt because we have nothing in savings to, to help cover these expenses. So for me, as we were approaching the end, I was like, I would. I want to know what it feels like to actually have a real amount of money in the bank, to have a real savings account with something in there that would make me feel comfortable. So that was like my number one thing was, I want to actually have an emergency fund. I want to have something sitting there to make me feel comfortable, to not feel like at any moment I could just fall back into the cycle of debt that we had been in for so long. 
Got it. So what did that look like? How did you, how'd you go about building that up? So what I did was immediately after we paid up, made our final payment on debt, all that money that we were paying towards credit cards went into a savings account. I mean, I kept the exact same lifestyle, which at that point it got very extreme. Like we were, we were still living as if like when we first got married, I was like, we're not, we're not buying any, we have, we're not getting a new TV. We're not buying new furniture. Everything we do are staying exactly the same. And I think I was a little too extreme at, at points in time because I would say, you know, if we want to go do something, I was like, hey, you know, we each have 20 bucks a month. That's where we're, that's going to be our fun money. And we're not going a penny over that because everything we have has to go towards debt. So even once we paid it off, I kind of stayed in that same mentality. And I think looking back on it now, I was like, it was just the fear I had built up these. Ha- I was just so nervous and stressed all the time that I couldn't shake it. And um, I, it was very hard for me to ever loosen up. But it definitely helped once we got out of debt to not fall back into old habits because I was just so focused and so like, we got to keep doing this. That um, basically all that money just rolled into uh, an emergency fund for us. So how did that go over with your, with your wife? I would get looks. I don't want to bring her. I don't want, I don't want to hear what she was thinking while, I, <laughs> while that was going on. But I definitely would get looks like, she would say, you know, I think we need to get this. And I'm like, mm, you know, do we, do we really? Like, I was just, I was just, at that point, I was just being cheap for the sake of being cheap. It was, I had no real reason to, to hold on to the same habits, but it was just so hard to shake it. I just had this, just, you know, when, once you've been in a place where you have this debt, it's, it creates this feeling of just like despair and just, you know, regret. And I was like, I don't ever want to go back there. So I know I definitely held on to that probably a little bit longer than I uh, should have. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors. But if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. 
customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. One of the worst things about the debt is that that feeling that you had there. And it sounds like in paying off the debt and getting to zero, you were not able to actually get to that feeling of feel, you know, feeling safe, feeling secure, or, or feeling comfortable with money in general. So what did that begin to change downstream? Or can you walk us through what you need to do to, to get to that point? Yeah, it, it definitely took a while. I would say maybe in the last year is when I've been able to kind of shake that feeling. So we paid it off in 2017. So what are we in 2020 now? And yeah, probably like early 2019 is where I finally was like, just breathe, just relax. Everything's going to be okay. And I think for me, it was, I felt so behind. I really beat myself up over the fact that, all right, I let us get to this point where we made mistakes. And I was like, we shouldn't have made these mistakes. And we missed out on all this time to be saving for retirement and or, or for a home and all these things that kind of weighed on me. And it was really difficult to to give myself any grace and say, hey, we all make mistakes. Things happen. And everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different. And just don't beat yourself up about it. You, you are where you are now and move forward. And it took me a while to really accept that and, and to say that you know it's going to be okay, even though I made mistakes. So I think it's, it was a lot of like talking to people, which I didn't do when we were, when we were in debt. I, no one knew we were in this debt. I wouldn't talk to any friends, any family, because I was just afraid of being judged. And you know, people saying, "Oh, why'd you do that?" And you made these. I just thought people were going to beat me up if I told them. And it wasn't until after we paid it off and I started talking to other people about it and found out how many people were really dealing with the same thing I was. And to be able to talk about it and understand that, hey, you know, I, I'm not judging these people for their situation and the mistakes they made. No one's going to do that to me. And it wasn't until I could really accept that that I was able to start to move forward and release some of that fear and anger that kind of built up over that time. So what what was the you're pouring money into your savings account, right? What's the wealth situation that you build towards where you actually begin to get that feeling of security? I think there's a link between the two is why I'm asking that question. No, so. that's a great point. I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, it was around the point where we hit, uh, I think it was about four months of our expenses in our emergency fund where I felt like, oh, when, when I, I think when I started to see a comma and like five digits in the savings <laughs> account. I was like, oh, I can breathe a little bit now. This, <laughs> I'm not going to be homeless if tomorrow I, I you know, lose my job. And that definitely added to uh, the security and the feeling of, okay, I, I can release a little bit. I can, I can breathe a little bit more. All right. So I'm, I'm going to be a little smart aleck here to, to a certain extent. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that once you paid off 27 thousand dollars in debt in two and a half years with the grind that you put together. I do think that you can up your fund money expense from twenty dollars to something more. <laughs> but I still I feel like you're actually really very appropriate to have that mentality of continued emergency mode until you got to that ten thousand dollars or in and four uh four months of expenses in the in the savings account. Because to me, that's the position where now you are not in danger of having to go back into debt. Right. And so I, I think that the the maybe maybe you could have bumped it from like to a hundred or 150 a month <laughs> in fund money. Uh, but but I think I, I actually agree with that with that mentality, frankly, because I, I think that, that that's safety. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I, I'm happy that I didn't just fall back into old habits like right after paying off the debt because I think it would have been so easy just to end up back where I was again. So it was good caution, I think, along with um, being a little extreme at the same time. <laughs> but it's extreme in the right direction. I mean, you can yeah. always, if you if you only have $20, you can always spend another $20 You know, once your debt's paid off. But if you've already spent a hundred, you can't like pull that back. The movie theater is not going to give you your money back because you regret seeing the movie. 
you know, did you follow Dave Ramsey's baby steps? No, I had no idea who Dave Ramsey was during that whole time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had never heard of him. And so, you know, I think I kind of inadvertently did a little bit of what, you know, his path is. Uh, but no, it was probably just, it was just by accident. Yeah, I like the first three baby steps. Uh, save $1,000 for your starter emergency fund. And I believe he recommends that as once you figure out you want to change your finances, continue making the minimum payments on everything and save $1,000 because you're going to get in a car accident or you're going to have a doctor copay or you're going to have this random like flat tire. Now you need new tires. That helps you to not just be like, ugh, I'm never going to get ahead. Forget it. I'm just quitting. So the first $1,000 in your emergency fund is great. If you're looking to figure out your finances, get that peace of mind emergency fund. And then step number two is pay off all your debt except your house. And step number three is save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. And then he starts talking about saving for retirement, but he talks about saving 15%. And I like a higher rate of savings. Pay for your kid's college fund. This is something that I'm kind of... I don't know what to do about that. So I'm just ignoring that one right now. Um, Pay off your home early. I have a super low interest rate. I don't want to pay it off. And then baby step seven, give wealth and build. I shouldn't say I don't agree with that one. I agree with that one too. But the, the next three I have a problem with. But that first, those first three, it sounds like that's what you were doing. At what point did you loosen up the purse strings? Yeah. So I would say we loosened up right around that part, right where we hit about four months. My goal was still to hit six months, but around four months, I felt comfortable because like you were saying about building up, like, for example, like the first thousand dollars, there's something. And and even Scott, you were kind of mentioning this too. There's something about seeing that, like the fact that you've hit a mark in your savings that you never thought you'd ever get to. There's something kind of like empowering about that and comforting about, about hitting that mark. So I think once we hit four months, it was more money than I'd ever saved in my entire life. And I was like, we can, we can do this. We're not going to just fall off the boat and, you know, just end up back where we were. So once we did that, I was able to say, okay, you know, maybe we can go on a trip every now and then, or maybe we can spend a little bit more money on fun uh, every month. So I would say that's where we, where we started to loosen up at around there. And then um, for me, it was now, okay, we have a little bit of cash set aside. Now I really need to start thinking seriously about retirement and what, what do I, what do I envision as retirement? What is it going to take to get there? And really just actually actively putting more money towards uh, hitting the, hitting a goal and actually not working (laughs) at some point in my life. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I know we're jumping around a little bit here in the story, but one, one other additional comment I wanted to make about your journey out of debt is the fact that you did not have that savings, any savings, I think really hurt, your journey to a certain extent, because you mentioned that there was a few times where something came up and it derailed you completely from that. You know, I also think that there's an ongoing day-to-day advantage to having $1,000 in the bank where you can make decisions like, you know what, I'm going to buy bulk toilet paper or paper towels or cleaning supplies because it's on sale right now. And I suspect that those little decisions added up over time maybe worked against you to a certain extent. Is that a fair statement? Oh, yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. If we would have focused on at least saving something in the very beginning, it would have relieved so much pressure and then stopped those, those setbacks. Because it's kind of almost like, a, I don't know, like maybe like a snowball in that once you end up pulling that credit card out again to cover an expense, it makes it that much easier to use it again and again. And mm-hmm. then you end up kind of falling back into old habits. And there's times where that happened where we would pull, it up, pull out the credit card Oh, uh, well, we have this medical bill. We probably should take care of this. And it's like, well, while we're out, why don't we go? You know, we, I really want to check out this place or something. You know, we've really needed, we really needed this item for the house. Why not just grab it now? And it definitely throws you back in the cycle where if it was pulling from my savings account and I saw my balance drop, I would be less likely to say, you know what, I want to make this drop even more. So I, I definitely wish I would have done that in the beginning. Awesome. Yeah. And I just wanted to go back there because I, I just think it's such an important point for folks that are trying to get out of debt there. So sorry, we can go back to the, uh, the, the story now. So you're, you're, you're envisioning retirement. What does that look like to you? What is that process? And how do you go about planning for retirement? So I didn't really, when I, when I started, I had no real clear vision of what I wanted to do. And, you know, everyone around you is like, you know, 65 is when you retire. So that's what you should aim for. So like, okay, you know, you, you know, even when I was in school, that was, you know, that's what we were talking about. So, you know, typical retirement age is 65. They plan everything around that. And that was kind of the norm. And then I was introduced to the uh, the fire movement, 
And this was through uh, a couple of friends I met uh, through doing podcasting. Jamila Soufran was one of them. She was, she started talking about it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I never, never heard about this. You mean you tell me people are retiring earlier than 65? <laughs> so that was like, that was like a, rele- that was a revelation for me to hear something like that. So what are your steps towards saving for early retirement? I'm assuming that you're now investing. What does your financial position look like with regards to retirement? So for me right now, the the biggest thing was coming up with, well, one, it was it was actually hitting these milestones that for me, I never thought I would get to. So for I know for 2020, one of my biggest things was I wanted to max out my retirement plan because I'd never actually done that. I, I you know, I, you always hear people say, you know, max out your plan. And I was like, I was so focused on all these other things, I never actually reached that goal. So for me, that was like my biggest thing. It's like, okay, I think I'm in a position where I feel comfortable. I can, I can still sacrifice and I can hit that mark. So it was one, maxing out my retirement plan at work. And then it was also really figuring out my why. What is it that I want out of retirement? What do I think this should be? Because I think it's, for me, it was like easy just to chase maybe the savings rates and the these different milestones, but I didn't really know like what do I want out of retirement and what should it look like? Is it a, a full complete retirement? Is it I'm just going to stop doing everything altogether? Am I going to move on to something that I'm more passionate about that um, brings me more fulfillment and joy in life? So that was like my biggest thing was to sit down and say, uh, what is it that I would would like to the I guess the back half of my life to look like? So that was the biggest thing. Like I'm even I'm even doing kind of like soul searching now to say you know building that out and building a vision because I think it's so much easier to hit a goal when I know clearly what it is that I would uh, like to strive for. But for me right now, it's kind of dipping back into some of my old habits of focus and putting aside as much as I can. So it's primarily through um, uh, index fund investing. And I said the majority of it is through a, um, a pre-tax retirement fund through my, uh, my employer right now. This is mid-2017. Right is when you is when you have the five the five figures in savings. When do you discover fire in relation to that moment? I would say this would have been late 2017 when I first discovered fire. So that was when I was first introduced to it, and then probably it was 2018 when I kind of really understood what it was all about and really got to hear more impactful stories. Uh, I think it was Chooseify, Jonathan and Brad. Um, I've, I've learned a lot from them. Uh, Jillian Johns Rude. They've all. I mean, the way they present it has really been impactful to me in seeing that. Kind of like the the power and the freedom that comes with with that, and not saying I'm going to just defer. You know, I'm I'm going to just work until I can't work anymore, and then just give up and just say, all right, I guess I'll rest now when I can't do anything else. And just hearing put in that perspective was like, well, you know, there's so much life left. Do I want to spend it sitting at my desk working on Excel spreadsheets? And the answer is no. I don't. I don't want to do that. I love it. I think that's fantastic. All those, all those are great resources that if you're listening, you should go and check out and, and learn from there. What is your vision for retirement? What is the latest thinking on that? So I'll say right now, as I thought about it, I don't envision it now as just doing nothing. I think it's more about being able to pursue things that I, that I really truly enjoy and not worrying about, is that going to you know, be able to support me financially because I want to be able to put myself in a position where I can choose to do whatever I want. So as of right now, it's been a lot of like, you know, doing podcasting, financial education, things like that. And still in the back of my mind, I know I still have to work. I still have to do something to support myself. So I couldn't at this point switch over to that full time. But I would love to be able to spend my time helping other people learn about money without myself having that worry in the back of my mind that I need to monetize this in some way. So being able to give freely of my time and um, not worry about the whole you know, financial side of it is something that I would really love to do in the future. Love it. That's awesome. Uh, quick question. Do you still have credit cards? Oh, I do. I still have credit cards. <laughs> do you Most participate do. in that travel hacking credit card bonus thing that you hear so much about in this space? Yes, that was like the biggest thing. The reason why I still have credit cards is that uh, along with learning about financial independence, I learned about the credit card having or travel hacking. And I never traveled growing up. I mean, we would, you know, we would take road trips. We would go anywhere you could take a car to in a reasonable amount of time is the amount of travel that I got to do as a kid. And it always ended up being going to Arkansas where my dad's family lived. That was the, that was the <laughs> final destination to every trip we ever took. Uh, <laughs> it was not the most exciting place in the world to go to. It's beautiful, but uh, you know, 
they lived in a small town. They didn't even have a movie theater. They had a Walmart. That's all they had. So that was not the, the best destination for a 14-year-old kid to go to. So once I found out about this, because I didn't want to, I didn't want travel to take me back into debt. I didn't want to end up derailing all the progress we had made just to go on a few trips. So when I found out oh, I can, you know, I can sign up for credit cards and use these bonuses strategically to allow me to travel and see parts of the world and the country that I've never seen before, uh, I was all in on it. So we've uh, we've been doing that probably over the past like year and a half more seriously uh, getting into travel hacking. Okay. And now I want some tips for people who may be leery of credit cards. You know, there are a lot of people that I have talked to who have a similar story. I got into credit card debt. I finally got out. I never want to be in that credit card debt again. So I'm just going to pay cash for everything. Uh, Dave Ramsey also has an envelope system, which is actually really brilliant. You take a bunch of envelopes and this is my grocery envelope and you put the cash in at the beginning of the month and that's all the cash you have for groceries or food or like whatever the envelope is for. So then that's great. The psychological concept of spending actual cash is way different than just swiping the card. So a lot of people don't want to fall back into that. They shun credit cards completely. How can somebody use credit cards responsibly and do this like travel hacking? What tips do you have for people for that? No, I think there's a great point you made there too, because it's so easy to fall back into those habits. So, um, so I was I was very leery of it. That's why I didn't give it a try while we had any debt, because I was like, you know, I just I was still nervous about that. I was like, I don't want to end up back in that position. So for That's me, a what good made point you- is that you didn't do it while you were in debt. I mean, getting a free airline trip is great, but if that breaks your you know, your concentration on paying it off. And like you said, once you pull out the card, it's so much easier to do it again. So that's a good, that's a good point. I'm sorry that I interrupted you. Continue. Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, and another thing to, to take into consideration too, that not you, you mentioned that is, okay, yes, you can get your flight covered. You can get your, you know, your hotel covered, but you're still going to want to do stuff when you get to these places. I'm not going, you know, I'm not going to travel five hours, 10 hours to just go sit in a hotel room that was paid for with points. I'm going to want to go outside. I'm going to want to eat. I'm going to you know, do touristy things. And so those things are going to obviously cost money. So you don't want to do this in a position where you're still you know, focusing on paying off debt or you don't have enough saved to cover an emergency because you're going to be spending money. You're going to spend way more than you think you're going to spend too once you get to these destinations. So I say, for one, make sure you're just in a stable position. You've taken care of your debt. You've you save some money to cover an emergency and then give it a try. And then the next thing for me was I almost always immediately make payments on the uh, the card when I use it. So I don't wait for the statement to come. I don't I don't you know use the card all month long and then the statement shows up and I make a payment because I can't trust myself to have that money still there once the the statement arrives. <laughs> uh, so for me, I will literally like I'll go to the gas station. I'll buy gas. I will use my credit card. And I will immediately sit in my car, open up my app, and send the payment right there just so I don't forget, just so things don't get out of control. Because in the beginning, when I first was giving this a try, I, I would use my card a few times. And then I said, you know, I'll get around to making the payment. And then I'd end up, it's time to make the payment. And I don't have enough money to match what I spent on the card. And I ended up, you know, okay, this is going to get dangerous. I'll pull from savings and then I'll cover that. So that way I'm back at zero. And I was like, this is not going to work because I'm going to end up spending all of my savings just trying to <laughs> trying to hit these spending requirements on these cards. So if, if you can, uh, whether it's daily or you know maybe a couple of times a week, sit down. And if you're going to use the card to hit these spending requirements, um, just make the payment, get the cash out of your bank account, get the card balance back down to zero. And that way you avoid falling back into the habits of building up debt. That's a good tip. You know, going back through your story, rock bottom is $27,000 in debt, right? And I imagine that that's the worst you felt about your prospects financially throughout this journey. Is that right? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, at each point during this journey, it sounds like you're still a long way from five, but no, have a plan to get there. At each point in this journey, have you felt better? Has your outlook on your journey improved throughout this process since kind of starting that first budget? Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely, my optimism for the future has increased exponentially since uh, since getting away from that point. Because definitely in the very beginning, I could not envision a point where I would be one, debt-free, and then two, the, the thought of retiring at a younger age never even crossed my mind. Like, like you said, I'm not, I'm not there. Like I'm not going to be able to retire tomorrow or five years from now. I'm still, I still, it's still a process. But I can at least see it. I can envision a point in time where I can, you know, pursue whatever I want and I can live a completely different lifestyle than I live now. Whereas when I was back then, it was just so hard 
to, to ever get to that point, to ever uh, see that as an option. Yeah. What, what I love about this is when you're at rock bottom with that $27,000 in debt and have that that's that weighing over you, right? Life is terrible. You just like have all these all these different things going on. While you're fighting out of it, you you're back in control, and so you mm-hmm. feel at least in control of it, even though you had a struggle for two and a half years to get out of it. Then you have ten thousand dollars or what, five figures. You said in in the in savings. Now you're you can breathe with, breathe a sigh of relief, and now you're moving towards early retirement. You're able. I'm assuming you're able to enjoy your life exponentially more than at any point in the last several years, several years leading up to that, you're able to travel hack and put together some great, great trips and vacations. And so it's not like you have to wait until you retire early to reap the benefits of what you're doing. You're realizing them in real time every month, every, with every passing month, there's c- continual improvement is what I'm gathering from your story. Yeah, it, it, and that's 100% correct. It's a completely different life now. And it's, I'm at a point now where I can, there's, there's things that I can see that bring me joy and that I can uh, experience now that I never saw as a possibility at all. And it all came from, I would say, I don't think I would enjoy uh, life the way I do now or feel the way I feel about money in a more healthy way if I hadn't have gone through those things. If I wouldn't have, as much as I hated it, as much as I, it, it caused me to feel depressed and anxious, um, going through that experience and learning from it and, and being able to overcome something like that it's definitely changed my perspective in so many ways about life and about money. And it has allowed me to enjoy things in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to if I wouldn't have gone through this. Love it. it, it on a month-to-month basis now, is it is it pretty automatic? Do you just kind of like earn, save, it automatically flows through to your investment account and you, you get a little richer with each passing month? Yeah. Right now, I pretty much have it on, on autopilot. Uh, something I, I'm doing differently this year than I've done in the past is I will actually sit down and I, I wrote out all the big kind of like money goals that I have for myself and prioritize them because um, I had a habit of you know writing down you know like 20 goals that I have for myself. And it was like no in the world I was going to accomplish any of those things. It was just like, you know, I've just all these great things I would like to do now. and um, But I've been trying to focus on what is my, what do I truly care about? And what is like the real priority for us and sit down and write out those goals and then use that to build my like automated plan for the rest of the year. year. So um, I'm, this is my first year really implementing that and really giving that a try. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, so far, so good. It's nice to kind of have a direction in the years and focus and then go from there. Love it. Do you have any children? Uh, no, we do not have any kids right now. Just me and my wife. Got it. That definitely helps. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Well, this has been awesome. Mindy, do you have anything else to add? Or, or Chris, do you have anything else to add before we go into the, the famous four? I would just say, um, you know, for me, the biggest thing was just giving myself some grace when it came to my finances. And it took me a long time to understand that and to be able to push away some of the, <laughs> the anger and fear that came from money. But definitely anyone can do it. It's just, it's, it's just a journey. And, you know, just keep that in mind that everyone makes mistakes and you, know, you, can, you can overcome it because so many people have. That's a great way to end that. Okay, it's now time for the famous four. These are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Chris, are you ready? Yes. Okay, what is your favorite finance book? My favorite finance book is uh, The Year of Less by Kate Flanders. It's not a, a typical money book. It's not like, you know, it's not gonna, you know, teach you how to invest per se, but it's all about, you know, it starts off with she's going to do a, um, like a basically a year of, of not spending because she found herself in a spot where she was kind of getting out of control with everything. And so many things were happening in her life that she just basically, it was kind of like a, a reset. And I thought it was going to be just a story of someone not spending any money for a year. I was like, this kind of sounds interesting, but it ends up being this kind of like journey into understanding why you spend money and, and what triggers these habits in your life and the things you learn about yourself when you give yourself time to breathe and just break away from basically healing yourself by spending money, make yourself feel better by going out and going out to drink and eat and shop and the power that comes from giving yourself a break from all of that and really kind of learning about yourself. So for me, that's probably my number one money book. You know, I have not read that book yet, but I, that sounds like a great book. I'm going to have to pick that up. I like that. That, was, I, I read it probably in like two weeks because it was just so interesting. I just I couldn't I couldn't stop. So I I definitely say that's my my number one book. Awesome. awesome. Thanks. What was your biggest money mistake? Which what was the number one thing you'd point out in this story? I would say so. This was back in maybe 2011. This was like right before I got married. I, I bought I bought my first car myself. Um, you know, family helped me prior to that, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy a car. And it was I never had a new car, so. 
of course, I went and bought myself a brand new car. And it, it was a it was a Hyundai Sonata, I remember, and it was I was so happy about it, and uh, ended up being like a lemon. Like there was all these issues with it, and I was like, oh, this is why did I do this? But I'm sure the fixes could have been you know very quick. Uh, it could have been very quick and cheap. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to trade this car in, and I'm going to lease a sports car, and I le- <laughs> I leased this car, and I regret it every day because I got it. And I immediately was like, this is not that great. I mean, this is this was fun for like three hours. I'm like, well, you know, I'm in LA. I can't even drive it fast. I'm in traffic all the time. <laughs> and uh, I looked back on it and I was like, if I would have just kept the first car, fixed it, it would have been paid off and I'd have a car and no car payment. But instead, I got rid of a car, leased a car for two years and then just had to buy another car after that. So it just, <laughs> I just, I looked back on it and I was like, I just, I just really messed that one up. Well, I love it. Thanks for sharing. The, uh, the first car... The brand new car or the car lease is frequently our biggest money mistake. I mean, you you deserve it, Chris. You should yeah. have kept that car. What kind of sports car did you have? So it was uh, an Infinity G, I think it was a G37. I think that's what it's called. They keep changing the name, but I think it was an Infinity G37. Okay. So it was like a coupe two-door. Um, it was a beautiful car, but it was not a, <laughs> it was not a great decision. That's okay. That's okay. We'll still, we'll forgive you. Uh, what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? I would say, again, kind of going back to what I said at the end, it's like figuring out like your why. Like, what is it that you want out of life? What is it that you're striving for and you, you want to see for yourself in the future? Because that's going to make it so much easier to reach a goal. If you're just kind of chasing this savings rate or um, this ideal of financial independence, but you don't really know what that is going to be for you, I think it just makes it harder to stay on the journey long-term because it's just kind of abstract. It doesn't really look like anything. So I would say, just sit down, take time and really think about what do you want your life to look like in you know, 10, 20, 30 years and kind of build this vision for yourself and then use that to keep you motivated and moving towards, uh, towards your goal. Love it. And I, I'll, I'll add, if you can't figure out what you want, which can be a years long identity struggle, maybe just write down a couple of things you don't want and that can be a good starting point, right? Because a lot of people, I think, don't know exactly what they want to do after five, but they know they don't want to be working their job for mm, yeah. another thirty years. So that's one way to start out. But I love that advice. You know, once you have it, once you have clarity on your vision, you could just execute towards it. You could set it, everything becomes crystal clear. Yeah, so true, and it is hard. I'll definitely, I'll second that. It is very hard to figure out what that is. All right, what is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Ooh, this this one was tough. I was I was, I was going through. I was like, what what is something that that makes me laugh? And I was like. I, this is, this is okay. This is gonna this is gonna be a total dad joke because they make. I'm not a dad, Perfect. but I love dad jokes for some reason. Uh, <laughs> so okay, so there's there's a farmer. He goes out to the field and he decides that he's gonna count up his cows. So he counts 196 cows, but then when he rounds them up, he ends up with 200. That's my dad joke. Because he rounds I, up the 196, rounded up. That's why it's a dad joke because it's horrible and it makes you think too hard about it. Yeah, I'm sorry I pasteurized that joke. So, all right. Oh, Scott's favorite kind of jokes. Where can people find out more about you, Chris? Oh, I mean, definitely don't look for me for my joke telling ability, obviously. Uh, but you can <laughs> you can find me over at uh, popcornfinance.com. Uh, That's where I, I post all the new episodes coming out, and uh, you can send me a message and. Reach out to me if you want to ask a question or just say hi. All right. What's the tagline for Popcorn Finance? I love this. Oh, well, thank you. It's uh, where I discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. So short form podcast. Yeah. And they're great. He taught, he, Chris tackles one topic at a time and it's just a really quick, uh, I don't want to, I, I almost said it. it's a really quick little show. It's a really quick show that just covers one topic. So you're not like all over the place like we are. Um, <laughs> and well, no, and Mindy, you were on as well. I was on. I was talking about yeah. real estate, my favorite thing. And you were great. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris. This was a lot of fun. I take little notes while we're talking uh, and little quotables, and I have about a thousand from you. This was just really, really great. And, you know, one of my favorite parts about your story is that this is something that anybody who is listening now can repeat. Somebody can emulate you and say, oh, I am in debt and I need to stop so I can do all the things that Chris did. Well, thank you. I always appreciate um, getting to talk with you and uh, thank you for letting me share my story. It's always helping me remember where I was and uh, to not lose track of you know, the journey and, and how I felt and how other people are dealing with the same thing. 
No, I yeah. think a lot of people are going to benefit from this. So thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, great, Chris. We will talk to you soon. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.